Hello and welcome to Holmes Borden and the Watson Papers. This is your host, Chris Dilworth. Thanks for joining me. We don't have the letter. Let me just start out by saying that. Apparently, Watson turned the letter over to Mycroft. Mycroft never gave it back. Watson took some notes based on his memory, and that's what we're going to go on here. I think these notes were made probably contemporaneously, but I can't say for sure. They may have been made sometime later. Obviously, before I go any further, this letter was written the night before, and I don't know what tense Sherlock used. Technically, I suppose he should have said, my dear Watson, tomorrow I will do this and I will do that. And the person that you will see, blah, 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 blah. I think it was probably written in the past tense because Sherlock was confident that whatever he was describing was going to happen. And of course he was right. So let's just do this in the past tense, even though it doesn't technically make sense. Since it was written before these events happened. He starts out by saying, you're going to have to get off at the next stop, and you're going to have to send Mycroft a telegram, and you're going to have to tell him I'm gone. Ask Mycroft to reply, wait for the reply, and do what he tells you. But if you wait until you get to London and tell him then, you're screwed. Everybody's going to assume you did that on purpose to give me time to get away. Nobody's going to believe you when you say you didn't know that I had this planned, that you were not part of this, so you don't have a choice. Get off immediately and send the telegram. The next thing he says is, I'm really sorry I did this to you. I owe you a thousand apologies. You're going to have to deal with Mycroft, and he's not going to be happy. He says he's going to be rather severe upon you. I'm really not happy with Mycroft. Quote, Mycroft has set you to play the spy upon me, and to act this role was a hateful task. He says, essentially, I'm sorry you were put in the middle here. I'm sorry I couldn't take you into my confidence until now. I wanted you to be able to say honestly and truthfully that you didn't know I would be taking off. If I had told you ahead of time, you would have tried to stop me. That would have been unfortunate. You wouldn't have been able to. This is just the way it had to be. I know Mycroft is going to make you tell him exactly what happened, and he's going to ask for explanations, and I'm going to tell you everything I can to try to make this as easy and painless for you as possible. Let's start with the reason I'm doing this. My life is truly in danger. Moriarty is determined to kill me, and if I don't disappear, it's only a matter of time before he succeeds. Scotland Yard has tried to convince my brother that this knife attack in early October was random. It was a couple of thieves. It wasn't the Ripper. It had nothing to do with the Ripper or the Moriarty brothers. That's not true. I know it was the Moriarty's who tried to kill me. Scotland Yard and the Metropolitan Police, in addition, aren't going to be able to protect me from Moriarty. Mycroft thinks they can. They can't. I've tried to explain why. I've tried to tell him how overmatched Lestrade and Athelney Jones and Gregson and all those other clowns would be if they tried to intervene and protect me, and he just doesn't want to hear it. I can't even convince him that it's the Moriarty's who are behind the Ripper murders. He still has some doubts about that. He's still listening to the police. They're telling him it's a lunatic. And he's leaning towards that theory. So that's how vulnerable I am. I don't know how else to put it. He has been really helpful with the financial issues. I did convince him that the Moriarty gang was involved in all kinds of white-collar crimes or crimes that didn't involve brute violence, insurance fraud, scams, extortion, blackmail, forgery. He can understand that type of crime. 
It's the brutal stabbing, the horrific crimes that he can't connect to somebody like Professor Moriarty. But at least by convincing him that there was a financial side to the Moriarty crime syndicate, that there was this white collar side to it, at least I got him to help me trace the money. And that has paid off. That has proved successful. And I think that by itself may be enough to bring this whole thing down, to bring down this whole criminal enterprise. If I stayed in London, or if I made myself a target in any other fashion, not only would Moriarty kill me, but he'd do it in a way that would make it look like an accident. I'd be run down in the street. Someone would come barreling out of nowhere and and run me down, or I'd end up in the river drowned, or my house would be burned down and it would be considered an accidental fire. I wouldn't even have the satisfaction knowing that Moriarty would be caught and punished. That's not how he operates. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit around to please Mycroft and everybody else and allow myself to be killed. I need to disappear. That's the only way I'm going to survive. question really is how to do it. And I think the easiest way is to just to convince everybody I'm a hopeless drug addict. And I use drugs. I admit it. You know I do. I've been doing it for a few years. Now everybody's convinced I'm an absolute junkie. Why not play into that? Why not say, oh, yeah, I am and act like it? And if they think that the reason I've disappeared is because I've fallen apart, ended up in the gutter, and that all I want to do is get high, Moriarty's not going to spend a lot of time focused on me or tracking me down because he's not going to consider me a threat. And my brother may try to find me, but Scotland Yard won't. They aren't going to care. The government doesn't care about me unless I'm functioning at a high level. And Moriarty doesn't consider me a threat if I'm actively abusing drugs. So this is why I've chosen to go this route. And I'm telling you, I'm not addicted. I'm not a junkie. And that I'm able to work just as well as I ever have. You, I'm sure, don't believe this. But just think about it for a second. Just hear me out. All those symptoms that my brother described, and to the extent that you may have seen symptoms, physical symptoms, I can fake all those. Do you think for one second that I can't make myself look clammy or sweaty? You think I can't tremble and shake and make my face twitch? You've seen me act. You've seen me play parts. You've seen me in disguise. You know I can act like I'm strung out. So you may wonder, well, why don't I just go to Europe? Why don't I let Mycroft take me off to treatment? Because I know that's what he plans, and I know he plans to do it tomorrow. I've already figured that out. It's not that I'm afraid of going to a hospital. I mean, I'd obviously prefer not to, for the reasons I've already stated. I don't need it. I don't need treatment. But I'm pretty sure that whatever so-called experts are waiting for me they'll quickly understand that I don't need to be there. So it's not that I mind terribly giving up a week of my life, getting transported over there and convincing everybody I don't need treatment. That's not the point. The point is that Mycroft would insist that I go in the company of a bunch of farcical bunglers from Scotland Yard, and I'd be a sitting duck. They would be cut down, slaughtered, and obviously I would as well. It's not just me. I would be jeopardizing their lives as well. Do you think Moriarty's just going to do some surgical strike and kill me? That's not going to happen. However he chooses to kill me, it's going to mean that everybody else around me is is killed as well. If it's a gun, it's going to be a fusillade. 
it's going to be a dozen gunmen firing away. Everybody's going to be mowed down. What about a bomb? You think he's going to plant a bomb that just kills me? I would not only bring death upon myself, I'd bring it down upon anybody who was with me, and I'm not prepared to do that. If I try to convince my brother of this, he's going to say, you're just trying to avoid treatment. You're just making excuses. These guys are professionals. They can protect you. That's another reason I'm not going to let my brother carry out this plan. Let me talk about my escape from the train, because I know my brother's going to blame me for that. First of all, I don't think he's going to tell you this, but I know for a fact that we've been shadowed the entire time by at least two detectives from Scotland Yard. In fact, right now on the train, as you read this, there's a detective on the carriage directly behind you and there's a detective on the carriage in front of your carriage. I know that if I had tried to get onto either of those carriages, they would have stopped me. The only reason they didn't is because I was in disguise. So if you're going to blame somebody for my escape, blame Scotland Yard. They're the professionals. They're the ones that should have stopped me. I know you've gone through my luggage. I know my brother would have told you to do it. Obviously, you didn't find anything that wasn't supposed to be there. If you're asking yourself, how did I get this disguise? It really wasn't hard. Let me back up and tell you how I learned about the plans, how I knew that Mycroft was going to be trying to send me off to treatment on Monday. He's shockingly careless with his personal belongings, and I've had many chances over the last year or two, to take wax impressions of his office keys. And two or three months ago, I succumbed to the temptation and did it. And I had duplicates made. And if you have to, you can tell Mycroft I did this. If he says that the only way I could have learned his plans was from you, you can tell him about the keys. And if he needs the keys back, they're in the coal scuttle under the cigars, where I keep the cigars. Yes, you can also add this to my list of felonies. Ever since I got stabbed, Mycroft has kept me under surveillance. He's had detectives on both ends of my street, but he doesn't have anybody watching behind the house because he doesn't think I'm physically capable of climbing up and over Mrs. Hudson's garden wall at the back of her garden. Because he is so lazy and because he always overestimates the difficulty of any physical activity, he didn't think it was possible I could do this. And that's why nobody was posted back there to watch me. And that's how I came and went. Eventually, he was going to try to get me into treatment. I knew that was going to happen. And so a couple of weeks ago, as I was recovering physically, and as I knew he was starting to think about getting me into a hospital or a program, I took the keys, I got access to his office, I went through his papers, and I saw exactly what he had in store. And even more than that, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to believe this, but I'm telling you the truth. And I think he'll admit it if you ask him point blank. He actually went to court and got legal guardianship of me without telling me. Think about that. He thinks I'm not capable of functioning independently. So when I saw that, I knew I had to make my escape. It was just a question of how. I came up with a plan pretty quickly. I went up to the attic. I got an old carpet bag. I put my disguise in it. I put in a few items of personal clothing. I wrap it up. I tie it up in string and I send for a commissionaire. He picks it up and I give him instructions to send it by express train to the station master at Telford because I knew we were going to be switching trains there on the way to and from Bishop's Castle. I arranged to buy a single ticket for the same train coming back on Sunday that you and I were going to be taking from Telford. I buy it under the name of Mr. Thompson, which, as you know, was my alias up there. 
I reserve a compartment just down the corridor from the one that we were going to be occupying that we had already reserved. So I've got a ticket. I've got a compartment on the same carriage. I have the package being sent up to the station master. Then I send a telegram to the chief porter at the Telford train station, and I tell him that I want him to have somebody carry this parcel onto the train on Sunday morning and put it in the compartment that's reserved by Mr. Thompson. It was that simple. When we approached Wolverhampton, I left the compartment. I said I had to go to the bathroom. I walked down to the compartment that I had reserved for Mr. Thompson. Of course, it was empty. I go in. I pull the shade down. I change into my disguise. And then I go up and I knocked on the window. And you know what happened from there. I don't see how anybody can blame you for this. As far as the symptoms go, I've already told you that I faked them. Mycroft's going to argue with you. He's going to talk about all the other signs. He's going to say, oh, he has all those needle marks on his left arm. I do have a lot of needle marks on my left arm, but that was part of my act. It was part of my disguise. I took a clean needle and the vast majority of those were just puncturing my skin with a clean needle for the sole purpose of looking like a junkie. There's no way you can prove otherwise. But the best piece of evidence I have is that bottle of morphine that you've kept on your person all this time. That's not morphine. That's saline solution. You haven't been injecting me with morphine. And if you don't believe me, take that bottle and have it analyzed. Go to a chemist, have it analyzed. The chemist will confirm it's not morphine. I switched it out. When that bottle arrived by messenger on Thursday morning, I went into the bedroom. I switched it out. I poured it into an empty bottle and I replaced the morphine with saline solution. I put the cap back on. I brought it out and gave it to my brother because he requested it. Have it analyzed. You don't have to take my word for it. Just do it and see what the chemist says. And you can tell all this to Mycroft. And then when he talks about my pinpoint pupils, and you can create that effect by using medication. You just squeeze a drop or two of pilocarpine into each eye. You know what that is. You know what effect it has. This can all be faked. But the contents of the morphine bottle, that can't be faked. If that's saline solution, and you know that's what you were injected into me for three days, and you saw I had no symptoms of withdrawal, what conclusion can you draw other than I am telling you the truth? There's not much more I can tell you at this point. Mycroft is going to grill you. You tell him the truth. You tell him what I've told you. You're probably going to have to talk to Anderson from the Scotland Yard CID. That's not going to be fun. I imagine he's going to be very unpleasant to you. Do your best. I'm sorry that I put you in this position. You can expect to be tailed. You can expect to be under surveillance for a while. Probably your mail, both incoming and outgoing, is going to be opened. There's, they're probably going to get a warrant and look at everything that's coming and going. I'm not going to communicate with you that way. I don't know when I'll be in touch. I will as soon as I can, but I don't think it's going to be until after the Moriarty organization has been dismantled until it's no longer a threat. If you never hear from me again, it's probably because I have fallen into Moriarty's hands. I don't intend to do that. I don't intend to let him end up winning and coming out ahead of me, but I can't say for sure how this will all play out. You've been a great friend. I hope this isn't my final goodbye, and I hope that we're back in touch sometime fairly soon. And as I said, you use your judgment in terms of what you tell Mycroft. And then he signs off. I remain very sincerely yours or faithfully yours or whatever. And that's it. 
So after finishing the letter, you can imagine that Watson was not sure what to think. On the one hand, he's pretty upset that Sherlock left him in this position. He's also mad at Mycroft for asking him to go in the first place. He doesn't want to be on the defensive. He doesn't want to be blamed. Nobody would. He's also worried about Sherlock. He's worried that Moriarty will try to kill him. He doesn't know what to think about the whole issue of addiction. Sherlock is constantly pulling his leg. Sherlock is constantly hiding things or keeping things from him during his investigation, so he's at a loss. He can't decide what exactly is going on. He has this feeling of dread as the train approaches London. Now, let me back up. Of course, he follows Holmes' instruction, and he does get off at Birmingham and send a telegram to Mycroft. Mycroft tells him to take the next train, come straight back, and make his way over to Baker Street, to Sherlock's apartment. Before he leaves, Watson also sends a telegram to his wife saying that he's been delayed, but that he's safe and he will get back as soon as he can. He's pretty sure he'll get back that night. Before he leaves on the train, the next train, he goes into a stationery store or a newsagent. He buys an envelope and a stamp. He takes the letter that Sherlock had left for him. He puts it in the envelope. He addresses the envelope to himself at his club in London puts a stamp on it, drops it in the mail, and hopes that it doesn't get intercepted. Now, as I said, at some later time, he gets the letter, he picks it up at the club, and he turns it over to Mycroft. I don't know exactly when that happens, but it's a good thing that he does this while he's at the station in Birmingham, because when he comes back, the head of the Scotland Yard CID, this guy whose last name is Anderson, has Watson searched. He searches his clothing and he searches his bag. So if Watson had not done this, the letter would have been discovered and confiscated by Scotland Yard. Those two detectives, the undercover detectives that had been stationed, one on the carriage ahead of Watson's and the other on the carriage directly behind, apparently because they didn't see Sherlock get off, they stayed on the train So they got back to London before Watson did. Watson had to wait for the next train. Watson isn't sure what happens, but he assumes, and I think he's correct in this, that they don't know, the cops don't know what's happened. They get off, they can't find Sherlock, but they find Inspector Lestrade waiting for them. And he gives them both a tongue lashing for letting Holmes escape. At any rate, when Watson does get back, fairly late in the evening, after supper time, He sees Lestrade at the end of the platform waiting for him. Lestrade simply says, you're coming with me. They go out, get in a cab that's waiting, and they ride to Baker Street in silence. So that's where we're going to leave off. And next time we'll talk about what happens when Watson comes into his friend's apartment, who's there, and what they want to know from him and what he has to say to them. 